to Kids Dome now. Praise the Lord. And you can open your Bibles, for those of us that remain here, to 1 Thessalonians. We are continuing in our series. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. First Thessalonians, we're going to be, begin reading in, ver, in chapter 2 today. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. And if you can, please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. Hallelujah. If you're physically incapable, that is fine. But if you can stand, please do. When you got it, say so. And it says here, it says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much, in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from, from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, so as pleasing men, but, so not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother nourishes, cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you in the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you, re because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but, the, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Lord God, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your presence, and we thank you for your great love toward us. And this morning, Father, we humble ourselves before you, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, and that you would give us the faith to respond in obedience, that we would not be hearers of your word alone, but that we would be doers. In the good name of Jesus, everybody said, 
You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, would you please just raise your hand? Just hold it up. If you don't have an outline, the ushers will make sure that you get an outline. Very important that you have these outlines. I go over this every week. Um, we want to make sure that everybody has an outline so that way you can follow along in the introduction of the message so you can also take notes. Um, there are some questions in there, like what did you believe God spoke to you today? Um, and then how will you respond to the Lord this week? And so it gives you some opportunity for you to write down some notes. Um, the, as you'll see, the outlines have changed a little bit. Um, and so there's a little space in the, fr in, in the inside for notes and a little space on the back for notes. Um, and I want to make sure everybody has this outline because I want to do something a little bit different today. I always encourage you to utilize what you are learning and what you are hearing, and that way you can go ahead and make disciples, right? It's because we are supposed to not just be people who are receiving from God, but we are supposed to be people that are giving on behalf of God and helping others grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so everybody has an outline now because hands are, hands are not up anymore, right? So do we have anybody who needs one? Put those hands up if you need an outline. We have one hand over here. Oh, we have two hands over here. Glory to God. One, two, three. That's it. It's over. No more outlines. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. So what I want you to do really quickly is I want you to open up your outline. You notice they're a little bit different. Um, this week we switched them up. Um, we went back to the two to the um, to, to the handout like this. That gives a little bit more space for us to communicate with. And I want you to look at the second page over here on the right hand side. And I want you to look what it says there. It says, "What's your next step?" This is very important to us. As, as leaders, um, we, have been, we have been talking about our discipleship process. And so Pastor Chad gets up every week or whoever is doing that portion of the, of the service. During the greeting time, we always say that we are committed to. We talk about loving God, growing together, reaching others, and serving. And so as we're in our leadership meeting, we, we realize that there is probably some of you that are in here that don't know what the next steps are. Not even thinking about next steps. Like you just think that coming to church is good enough. And I don't say that to be offensive. I just say that, you know, traditionally, right, that's what happens to some of us. Like, we feel like coming to church is enough. Like, that's my, you know, religious obligation for the week. But when I ask you here on, on this outline, what's your next step? I want you to read this with me, okay? So I'm going to read it, and you're going to read along with me. We're going to go through this whole thing because I'm not going to go and um, preach it and explain it over. But I want you to see this. Being a disciple of Jesus is about growing in your faith in Christ and your devotion to him. Discipleship is a process. It's about a journey with Jesus and his body through every stage of our lives. And so what we realize is that being a disciple is part of who we are, right? And so we are called to be disciples of Jesus. And we're supposed to um, walk with him and walk with each other. A journey requires us to take steps. Each step we take moves us further, toward, further forward in this journey. So our question is, what is your next step? I want you to think about that when you, when you really consider you being a disciple. When we talk about loving God, we talk about growing together, we talk about um, reaching others and serving, when we talk about those things, those are steps in this process that we believe that every disciple should be moving through. And so the reason why we're asking what's your next step is because I want to know where you are. I want you to think about where are you as far as all of the stuff that we say weekly. And so the second paragraph here, and if you look, there's a little, there's a little circle um, here, a little 
diagram there to kind of give you an idea, right? This is a circular thing. This is something that never ends. It's something that should continue to happen. Um, we should love God. We should grow together. We should serve, and we should reach others continually. That should be part of our life. And so at Faith Emma Fellowship, we have a discipleship process we believe will help us grow in our faith and devotion to Jesus. This is the second paragraph there. It begins with loving God. This is the foundation of being a disciple. Love for God is the first step. You being here today, Sunday, is an indication to us that you either A, you love God because you're a believer and you love Jesus, or B, are seeking to know more about God. That's a good thing. So you're one of the two. Either you love Jesus in this place or you're not sure about who Jesus is, and that's good. It's okay to be either one of those. But here's what I want you to realize, that if you are A, then you need to be considering what's your next step. So moving on to the third paragraph here. As a disciple matures, they must grow. Notice that must is capitalized. This is not something that is a maybe. This is not something that is optional, okay? I want you to understand that there's a reason that we have this process in, 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 our, in our church because we want you to grow. We want you to mature. We want you to continue to move forward. And you will not do this alone. I have said this so many times, and I will continue to say it. You never become the disciple God has called you to become by yourself, period. This is just not going to happen. And so as a disciple matures, they must grow in their commitment to one another. The next step in our discipleship process is growing together in love. Jesus was asked a question, what is the greatest commandment of all? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. To love, to love the Lord with everything. And then he just threw this in there as a bonus. He said, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so growing together in love is about this relationship that we're supposed to be growing in with each other. We want you connected. And the reason why we spell it like that is not because we don't know how to spell, but because we have something called connect life groups. And the way that we spell it is with that K there. And the reason why we spell it with that K is because the Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia, and it starts with a K. And so there's a reason why that's there, because we want to have connection with one another that is biblical. And so the reason why in the beginning of the year, for those of you that were here, we started a series called Core Four, and that is because those are our core four. Those are our core values as a church. That's part of our discipleship process, and so the next step is for you to get connected. So my question is, are you connected? The beauty of it is, is that just last week, we started our Connect Life Group. Someone say amen to that. And so the reason why that's beautiful is for two things, because we started connecting, we started fellowshipping, we started to engage with one another, which is beautiful. But the reason why that's also beautiful is because it just started last week, so you still have time to get in on the goodness. You still have time to take a next step and consider, you know, where would you like to connect? We have Connect Life Groups on Monday, we have them on Tuesday, we have them on Wednesday, and we have one on Friday. Amen. Glory to God. And so we got you covered, right, all days of the week except Thursday. And so, you know, ultimately, you can connect, right? And so we want you to get connected. So that is the next step for us. Um, are you part of a Connect Life Group? If not, see Pastor Chad. Pastor Chad was up here. Um, he was out there in the tent for the last couple of weeks for you to be able to sign up and for you to move forward in the process. And so that is the next step. If you are not part of a Connect Life group, that is your next step. Um, the, the fourth paragraph here, maturing disciples also want to serve. This is out of gratitude to Jesus for his saving work and in obedience to his call to, to, for us to be like him. Are you serving in ministry? Do you, have, do you know your gifts? What are you passionate about? If you're not serving, this is your next step. See a leader for more details on how and where you can start serving. And so we want you to love God. We want you to grow in relationship. We want you to get connected with other believers. And we also want you to serve. We want you to find a place to serve. We want you, if you want to serve with kids, we can serve with kids. You want to serve in the music ministry, you got to be talented. 
Like we don't, we don't care if you're talented with kids. If you're going to work with kids, you got to have patience, amen? You have to, you have to be able to, you know, tolerate and, and deal with some stuff, right? And, and you got you to gotta have a passion toward that. But if you're going to, you know, but, but we, can, we can train you over there, right? You don't have to be like super gifted. But up, up here, amen, right? Like don't be like, yes, I want to be part of the music ministry. And no, you should not be. Right? But the point is, if you want to, you know, we can come and we can help you figure that out. You know, you may feel like you're very gifted and we can, we have assist, we can assist you in learning how gifted you are or not. We, we can help you with that. And I'm just saying, like, we, we, can, we can help you out. We, we'll take you a little run through and we'll see. And we'll be very honest, lovingly honest, and tell you, you know, you'll be a great fit here. Or, you know, there may be somewhere else. You want to serve a youth ministry, you can serve a youth ministry. Want to serve on the media team, serve on the media team. See someone. You want to serve with the ushers, you know, you can serve with them. You know, I, want to, I just want to acknowledge for a moment, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, the guys, we've been working on this for a little while, but, you know, um, we, we, but we want you to feel secure when you're here, not just secure in Jesus, but we have a security team, glory to God, some men that are looking out for you, you know, amen. We, we thank God for them. Um, you know, we have ushers, and so if you want to serve in an area, I mean, do, listen, this is not a spectator sport, right? That Christianity's not that. You got to be a participator. And then lastly here, um, disciples make disciples. That means sharing your faith and the hope you have in Jesus with those who don't know him. This isn't a program, it's a lifestyle. And we're going to switch that around. You know how we say loving God, growing together, reaching others, serving. We're going to switch it around where it's going to say loving God, growing together, serving, and reaching others. And the reason is because we don't want reaching others to be a program. Praise the Lord. We have men, we have, you know, people, there's some women involved as well that are part of the evangelism team, and they go out to different places. This Friday night, they went out there, they were sharing the gospel with people, they were ministering the word of God, and so that is something that you can participate in for sure and grow in. But here's what I I want you to realize every day when you walk out of your house, you are walking into the mission field God has placed you in. There, and, and I'm going to talk about this throughout this sermon, so I, I won't drive this home, but I'm done reading right now. But here's the thing I want you to get is I want you to realize that you are called to be a missionary. I said this a couple of weeks ago, you know, I, I praise God for overseas missionaries. We need across the street missionaries. We need backyard missionaries. We need on the corner missionaries. We need, you know, a cubicle missionaries on break. Amen. We all have that holy cubicle, right? Be like, yes, this is my area. It's very holy, and I don't do any work. I just evangelize. Yeah, you're going to be without a job soon, and you're being a bad witness. But the thing that, the reason I want you to know, look at this, what's your next step is because I want you, listen, and I don't say this to be mean, but I want you to be uncomfortable just being stagnant. I don't want you to be comfortable just coming to church. I want you to feel like you need to take some next steps to grow in your faith because I want to see you flourish as a child of God. I want to see you pleasing God in all things. And what I'm assured of is that if you will love God, if you will grow with your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you will serve as God has gifted you, and if you will reach others, you will be a child of God that is pleasing to him. Not perfect, pleasing to him. Amen? So that's very important for us. And so continuing here in our series, so on the other side of your outline, we'll begin here um, looking at the, uh, under the September 18th, End Time Encouragement. The title of our message this morning is Model Ministry. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is, is a scripture basis, or 1 through 16 actually is a scripture basis of where we're at. And if you look at the first paragraph here, in our last message, we dealt with the greeting and encouragement the Apostle Paul gave the Thessalonians in calling them examples or models to those around them 
and still to us hundreds of years ago. When we read about the Thessalonian church, the church in Thessalonica, we're encouraged by their faith. We're encouraged by the things that we see in them. And so we want to do some imitation. We want to see how they were. And today, we will look at the importance of seeing ourselves, say ourselves, as ministers whose lives are a ministry. It is important that we see ourselves as ministers whose lives are a ministry. See, too, too, too long in the church, and, and, I, and, I, and I've shared this history before, there was a time in the church before the church, and I believe it was under, under Constantine, when the church was, um, Christianity was not legal at that time, before Constantine. And when he decided to make it legal, it went from being like 20% of the population was Christian, not everybody wanted to be Christian. Because there were some benefits to being Christian. There were people, you know, they went ahead and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, we had the professionals of ministry, the ones who knew the Bible, the ones who could interpret the scriptures. And what has happened is that transition has come years and years down the road. I mean, thousands, you know, hundreds of years later, we are still battling the same thing, which is that you look at me and I'm the minister and you guys are just Christians. And it was not like that, and we're going to see this in a moment, you know, it was not like that in the first century church. It was not, not, not that way. There were leaders, to be sure. There were people who were leading the way. But what happened was there was not just the people who were leading. The church was grasping the gospel. They were grasping their call. They were grasping the responsibility to be disciple makers. And so they were doing that. And so, again, that's why we're talking about these next steps so we can grow into who God wants us to be. But we need to see ourselves as ministers. See, in the, in, at Faith Dome Fellowship, we believe that, you know, Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. We have elders who are the male leaders who are called to the highest level of leadership in the church and then we have ministers who can be female or male ministers or deacons and that's the way that we see it and then we have church members this is the way that we see the authority the authoritative structure in scripture and so then we have members of the church all of these people in the church have different levels of authority and we all submit to Jesus right amen and so that's what we believe here. And so a lot of times you think that minister is the one who is, you know, the minister, the one who's singing or, you know, my wife in this case, Minister Elaine, or, you know, you'll see the, you know, um, men's minister, you know, Minister Frank or, you know, something like that, Minister Jamie, our youth minister, Minister Rob, you know, you think of those people as being ministers, you know, Minister John over our ushers. So you think of those people as being ministers and then that's where it ends. But what I want you to realize is as a Christian, the Bible says that we are a peculiar people. We are a royal priesthood. Say royal priesthood. You see, what happened was Jesus, when he died on the cross, he removed the veil that separated us from him, and he equal. He made it equal. He said, all men have equal opportunity for equal access to me. See, prior to that, there was only the high priests that were able to go beyond the veil into the holy of holies and offer sacrifice unto God once a year. That's what would happen. And then there was the other guys, you know, the, the, the priests that were able to offer sacrifices daily, but it wasn't the regular people. As a matter of fact, what you did was in those times is that you would come with your sacrifice you would give it to me I would check it out we would look at it and say okay this is good and then we would go and sacrifice it because you weren't holy enough to do that you hear that that's Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Jesus was the final sacrifice. We talked about that earlier, the gospel, right? Jesus comes and dies in our place, and that way we can what? So we can have unhindered access unto God Almighty. Every one of us. 
But it's not just for us to access God. Because remember this, priests did two things. They represented God to the people, but they also represented the people to God. You see what I'm saying? And so what happens is, if we are a royal priesthood, say priesthood. Everybody is a royal priesthood in this room. If you are a royal priesthood, you are supposed to be representing people to God in prayer and in intercession, praying for them. But you are also supposed to be representing God to people as ministers. Second paragraph here. The reason the Thessalonians were an example ministry is because their leaders were an example, imitators of Jesus. You see, when you look at the Apostle Paul, he, he was an imitator of Christ to the best of his ability. He, he imitated Christ. He, he demonstrated the character of Christ. And listen, I want you to know something. While I'm talking to you about being ministers, when, I, when, when I'm reading through this, I realize something always whenever I'm reading Paul talking about himself. Because sadly, Paul had to defend himself all the time because there were people trying to discredit his ministry. And so what would happen was he would be defending himself, but he would talk about the reasons why his ministry had credibility. And whenever I read this stuff, you know what it does? It challenges me as a leader because I realize, hold on a second, am I being this example? Am I imitating Jesus? This is challenging stuff for me as well. And so each of us has been called to be ministers of the gospel and be example witnesses. That's what you are to the world around us that we encounter daily. Last paragraph here. As a church, we must realize that we can hope to have no greater success than that which we see in the scriptures resulting from those given to the glory of God. I was preaching this, this last Thursday at a, men's, um, at, at a men's Bible study in Longwood, and I was preaching through, teaching through the story of the rich young ruler. And as I was teaching through the story of this rich young ruler, one of the things in there, there's three um, basic components to that story, and it is about money, it is about success, and it is about sacrifice. And, and, and the one thing that, you know, I asked the question, you know, is it okay to like money, right? And, and, you know, people get nervous when you say stuff like that, and I'm here to tell you, yes, it's okay to like money. Don't like it too much, right? Because then that borders on love, right? And a lot of people, I like money, you love money. But anyway, and the Bible says the love of money is the root to all evil, right? And so, how many, I mean, I, know, I don't know about you, but I like to have money in the bank, amen. I like to know my bills are going to be paid, amen, right? I like to, you know, if I want to go buy, you know, something like, you know, something, I don't know, whatever. You know, if I want to go buy something, I like to know that I have some money to go buy something. Amen. I like when I text my wife and say, hey, babe, can I do this? And she's like, amen, go ahead and do it. Right? She, didn't say, she didn't say amen, but she's like, yeah, go ahead and do it. She's like, you know, usually my wife will tell me, do not spend anything. I'm like, glory to God. There is no money being spent this week, and so glory to God. You know, it is what it is. But the point is, it's okay, right? And, 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 and the other thing is this. How many of you want to be successful? Right? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, Isaac Pagan Jr. here, you know, he's on Facebook. Y'all need to check him out. You know, he's got some videos on there. He's, he's trying to encourage y'all to get out of debt. Glory to God. He's taking you on this journey with him. Amen. Glory to God. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. The problem is when you worship money or you worship success. Are you here? See, that's where the issue comes in. But you want to have success for the right reasons, and you want to have the right, right type of success. And what I want you to know is when we talk about being successful as a church, you know, you look around. I thank God for all the, all, all the people that are here this morning, and, you know, and I see what God is doing. I thank God for that. But can I tell you something? I want to say something sincerely. Sincerely, with all of my heart and soul, it, th this ministry is not about filling seats. It's about filling heaven. 
Are you getting this? Now, don't get it twisted. I want you to fill the seats because if we're filling the seats, that means, amen. Y'all got that. I love that. You guys are so smart. See, I want you to invite your friends to church. I want you to, I want to challenge you to make sure that you are, man, you know, reaching one, always one. I said that a couple of years ago, that you are always praying for, always seeking an opportunity to reach someone with the gospel. I want to see lives be changed. You know, my hope is that in the new year, we'll be able to go to a second service and that we'll be able to make more room for more souls. You know what that means? More work. Amen, somebody. That means more opportunities to serve. That's what my heart is. That's where we are right now. And so what I want you to do is I want you to be encouraged. But I want you to know that this is not solely about numbers in a building. This is not solely about numbers on a registry that we have for church. This is about us making kingdom impact in the lives of people and having success the way the Bible defines it. And that is through fruit. It is by being a fruitful church, a church that is seeing souls that are coming to Christ, that are remaining in Christ, and that are serving Christ, and that are bringing others to Christ who remain in Christ, who are serving Christ. That's what the church is about. It's about making disciples. It's about producing after our own kind. That's what the scriptures teach us to do, right? And so that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so here, I want, you, I want you to get this last part of this paragraph. We should be looking at the results that we see here. And we see these lives that were so impressed by Christ that they left a lasting impression upon the world they lived in to the degree that we today are trying or should be trying to map out their steps to make and leave a similar impression upon our world. How many of y'all want to do that? How many of you want to mark this world for the glory and honor of Jesus? I don't know about you, but that's my heart. That's what I want to do. I want to leave a lasting mark, not for Jason Quinone's sake, not for Faith Dome's sake, but for the glory of Jesus' sake. I want to be used to that degree. I want people, when they talk about me, to literally point back to Jesus. There's a guy by the name of David Wilkerson. He passed away recently. He started um, Times Square Church in New York. And, you know, he, 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 has, he has an amazing testimony, you know, started teen challenges and things like that. And, and some of you have heard this guy's preachings and messages, um, you know, on, on YouTube. And, and when you look at this guy's life, I mean, he did a lot of great stuff. But you know what? Every time you look at him, you know where he's pointing to? Jesus. That's what our lives have to be. That's what the success is. And so here's the big idea I want you to get today. We must see ourselves as ministers being used by God to model life to a dying world. Did you get that? We need to see ourselves as ministers being used by God to model life to a dying world. I need you to understand something. There are people that are around you, that they are dead in their sins. Are you hearing me? They think they're alive. They may be coworkers that you have. For those of you that are in school, they may be um, you know, classmates that you have. They may be family members that you have. They may look alive. It may seem like everything is okay in their lives. You know, they may be doing well by the standards of this world. But I need you to understand that they, if they do not know Jesus, if they have not put their faith in Christ, the Bible says they are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so what that means is that if they died right now, I know everybody has this idea, like you look at any movie today, no movie ever talks about what hell is like. 
There's no movie that, that talks about, you know, this person died and they're burning in hell, right? The, the closest you get is the, is the angels, right, that are in purgatory trying to earn their way into heaven. That's the closest that you get. But nobody talks, because this is the thing, nobody wants to hear about that. Nobody wants to hear about the reality, but you know what, church? This is the reality, that anyone who dies apart from Jesus will spend eternity separated from God. No matter, listen to what I'm saying, no matter how good they were on this earth. God does not measure our lives by how good we are. God measures our lives by our faith in Jesus or not. And we need to be the ones that are modeling life to a world that is dying. The first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me here is say model ministry is never in vain. Model ministry is never in vain. And so what I want you to see is, and I want you to write this down. I told you this last week, but Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 9 is where we get the, the premise of this book that Paul is writing. And what we find in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, actually when you go to chapter 16, chapter 16 is an amazing story of when Paul and Silas were in the city of Philippi. And when they're in Philippi, they get beaten, and then they get locked up in prison. And then after they get beaten, locked up in prison, they begin to sing psalms, and they begin to worship. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God came into that place, that the place was shaken, that the chains fell off of everyone, that the doors were open, and the jailer who was over the prison ran in, and he was about to kill himself because he thought everyone had left. Paul cries out and says, don't do that. No one has left. And then the beautiful part of this story is that after all that beating, after all that persecution, the Apostle Paul and, and Silas are able to lead the jailer and his family to Christ, able to baptize them, and then they go on, their, and they go on in their ministry. And the next city that they end up in is Thessalonica. And when they get to Thessalonica, I love, the, I love what it says there. It's one of my favorite portions in the book of Acts because... It says they started preaching. It says as Paul's custom was, right? He goes to the synagogues and he begins to reason with them from the scriptures who Jesus is. And as he's reasoning who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, there's some people that believe. It says there's some prominent women that believe. It says some, you know, Greeks believe. And so then there's also that other group. Y'all remember when I preached in the book of Acts, for those of you that were here, there were some people that didn't believe. And not only did they not believe, but they were hating on Paul and his company. And so they came to this guy's house. The guy's name was Jason. Maybe that's why I like this portion of Scripture so much. He spells his name wrong, though. But anyway, here, here's the thing. He comes to this guy's house, and they go in there. They drag Jason out. I love what they say, though, to Jason. They say, they who have turned the world upside down have come here, too. I love that. The ones who have turned the world upside down have come here, too. That, that's, that's, that's awesome to me. Because what he is saying there and what these people are acknowledging is these people that are going from city to city with a message that is changing people's lives, they've come here now. That's beautiful. They've come. And, and you know why that's so beautiful? It's because that same message that the Apostle Paul and Silas were preaching is the same message you and I have. The same power that the Apostle Paul and, 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 and Silas were preaching under when they were sharing the gospel is the same power that resides in us. 
And the beauty of it is, is that God calls us the same way to turn our cities, to turn our world upside down for the glory of God. Not for our own glory, not in our own power and ability, not in our own wisdom, but by the power and the glory of God. The second thing, I, I want you to get this here. Ministry, model ministry is never in vain. The first thing Paul says, look at verses 1 and 2. He says here, he says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Why does he say that? Because when you read that story, I mean, I just said it's like verses 1 through 9, right? And so it's only, you know, like eight verses there. Very short. And, and, and they get kicked out of the city. And it seems like it wasn't a real fruitful time, right? It wasn't something that was like, yeah, I really want to go there and go do something like that. Like nobody wants to have a ministry that lasts one day. Hello. And I'm not saying it was one day, but it was a short period of time that they were there. And then they, they get run out of the city because these people are hating on God. But then they come and, and, and Paul is telling them, listen, our time for you, you know it wasn't in vain. Because what? Because this church was, was vibrant, this church was fruitful, this church was a maturing church. And so he shows them that. And what I want you to get is that the enemy would like to silence us. He uses our difficulties to deter our faith. He uses the rejection of the gospel to discourage our witness. And he uses the dialogue of the liberal culture to disqualify our message. Did you hear that? The enemy wants to silence the church. The enemy wants to keep us from, listen, you know what he wants? I'm going to tell you what he wants. He wants us to come together. He wants us to be really excited when we worship God. He wants us to be really motivated and stirred up when we're in here, clapping our hands, singing, and we're singing. You know, he wants us to experience some good stuff in here. But you know what he wants us to do? To leave it right here. He wants us to think that that's the end of it. He wants, he, he wants you to be so discouraged in your life that your faith Man, you don't even want to open your mouth about Jesus. When someone is going through something, he wants your faith to be so deterred that you have no words for that person. Listen, I want you to know something. No matter what it is that you're going through, don't let the enemy deter your faith. Let your faith grow in the midst of your trials. Listen, the enemy wants you to think that nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Can I tell you something? Yesterday, my wife and I, Saturday, uh, my wife and I, actually, at the end of the month, we're going to celebrate 19 years of marriage. Um, and so um, we just, you know, because we're going, we're, you know, we're going to go camping, we decided that we're going to celebrate our anniversary this Friday, right? So we go out Saturday morning, we get up, we go to IHOP, and we're sitting down there on a table, and my wife has her back to a table of some young people. They might have been, I would say they were in their 20s or something like that. And, you know, she tells me, I, you know, I couldn't hear what they were saying, and so she's like, man, they're having a conversation over here. And I was like, really? She's like, babe, why don't you come sit over here, and then you can talk to them. I'm like, baby, I'm not going to turn around and be like, yo, I hear you all talking. I'm not going to do that. But, I, you know, at that moment, right, it peaks my interest because they're talking about conversations that they're having about Jesus and about who God is. And now, mind you, they ain't Christian because they're dropping some serious words up in that table, right? And I'm not saying all Christians are perfect, but what I'm saying is they made it clear that, you know, they were talking about one guy, and, and he was trying to explain how Jesus and God are one. And he said, you know, this guy said, listen, I know, I know a bunch of stuff. And the girl was like, man, you don't know anything. And that wasn't the word she used. Hello. But anyway. <laughs> The reason why I bring that up is because statistically, can I tell you this, statistically, statistically, the people in that age group, they're more open to talk about faith than anybody, than, than, than older people like my age group. I guess I'm in that older age group. Hello. Some of y'all in that older age group too. Hello. There's only a few of us that are not in that older age group, glory to God. But what has happened is that older age group, right, those, you know, like 30 and over, you know, like, don't, like that older age group, I just got you older, right? Like, man, yes, you're in that older age group, right? Like 30 to, you know, 40, you know, 40, like, like that age group there, you know, like they don't want, they, they, they're closed down a lot of them. 
But younger, you know, like the, you know, 18 to, you know, 25, like that group there, like like those people, this is statistically now, they're more open to have conversations. But you know what the enemy wants you to think? The enemy wants you to think nobody wants to hear about Jesus. So that way you don't ever boldly share the gospel. And then you have our culture that is, you know, on the liberal side that wants to make you think your message is disqualified. It's irrelevant. You know, I don't know how many of you, how many of you watch um, America's Got Talent, but, you know, we watch it. We had, like, these last four episodes there forever, and so we finished them up yesterday. Um, and so, you know, there was, there was this one guy, and, you know, there's, there, there's always, you know, one or two people in shows that we see today, you know, that are battling with their identity and things like that. And this one guy, he was, you know, growing up, you know, he was a heavy kid, you know, so he was already felt ostracized because of that. And then now he's, you know, he came out and he's homosexual. And so as he is, you know, going through the show, you know, they continue to replay his story, replay his story. And so last night I was sick of hearing his story. And, you know, I'm just being honest and, 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 and I'm not trying to be insensitive. I was just like, okay, I didn't just fast forward through his. I fast forward through everybody's story. I was sick of all their stories. I wanted to hear them sing or whatever they were going to do. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. As I was fast-forwarding through the story, through his story, I noticed they were showing how his time on this show has impacted so many people's lives. And I saw tears, and my heart broke as I was seeing that because I realized something. I realized that the enemy has lied to so many people in thinking. This is the reason why building self-esteem doesn't work. Because what self-esteem tells you to do is you just accept who you are. The gospel doesn't tell you that. You see, so when I try to build your self-esteem, what I'm saying is whatever you are, whatever you identify as, just accept that. Jesus says, I died for all of your sin. See, what I want you to realize is that we have a message that can bring deliverance to people who are struggling with sin in their lives. Are you hearing me? We have a message that is able to come and bring hope. We don't have to be hateful. We don't have to be insensitive. We don't have to be, you know, not caring when we present the answers. But what we need to do is not be silent when it is time to share the answers. Because the reality is these these people are hurting. Can I tell you something? All of us, this is what the Bible says, all of us are born into sin. Every one of us. And some of us have a propensity to go and be alcoholics. Some of us have a propensity to go and be, you know, drug addicts. Some of us have the propensity to be adulterers and have, you know, we we wish that we were Mormon in the right place. Hello. Because we want to be polygamous and make it legal. Right? And and, and so, you know, we all struggle with different things because, listen, we're born into sin. But can I tell you something? Jesus died for the sin that we were born into. Whatever that sin is, he died for it. And he wants to bring you liberty. And he wants you to know that your identity is not found in anything or anyone else but in him alone. See, we we don't want to talk about that because we're hateful. Because we're insensitive, because, you know, we're not, we're not accepting people as they are. No, no, no. Come, come to Jesus as you are. You're struggling with stuff? Come to Jesus as you are. But you need to know this. Jesus says, come to me as you are. He's not going to leave you like you are. He loves you too much. He's going to clean you up. That's what he's going to do. He's not, you know, it's, it's, it's like your child coming to you filthy. 
coming to you nasty, stinky, and not the cute stinky. I don't know if there is a cute stinky, but there is a cute stinky, right? It's like your child coming to you like that, and you're saying, oh, I love you. Oh, I care for you. But you ain't going to clean them up? You're just going to leave them nasty? You're going to leave them unclothed? You're going to leave them unbathed? No, because you love them, you're going to fix whatever the issue is. It's the same thing with God Almighty. That's the reason why Jesus dies. And so Paul communicates that his time with them was not in vain. He says, but even after, look at verse 2. He says, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated by at Philippi, the story we just went through, as you know, we were bold in our God. Say, bold in our God. See, don't miss that in the text. It wasn't that Paul was just bold and courageous. You read the book of Acts, he needed plenty of encouragement. I mean, angels would have to show up to this guy in situations just to encourage him in his faith. I mean, that's what was happening to him. And it says that he became bold in his God because of his relationship with God, because of his devotion to God. He became bold in God, even in the midst of of, of harshness, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of rejection, in the midst of people talking badly about them. In the midst of all of that, he grew bold enough to stand up and preach this word without compromise and able to speak it into the lives of those who need God. And we need to be those type of people that say, God, we want to grow in that boldness. The second thing that I ask you to repeat is say, model ministry is necessary for living a legacy. Model ministry is necessary for living a legacy. I've said this before, and one of the things that I realize, if you are going to leave a legacy, you have to live a legacy. It's not, it's not waiting to hope that, you know, I was, I, I was impactful enough. It's not waiting to hope that I was obedient enough. No, no, no. It is right now, it is here, it is in these days that you make a choice to live for the glory and honor of God. And that's the beauty of it, that if we're living for the glory and honor of God, if we're living for his name's sake, then we're going to be able to do what? We're, we're going to be able to live the legacy, and we are going to inevitably leave the legacy. So read, we're reading with me verses 3 through 12. I, I want you to see verse 3, and, and then we'll kind of look at these other verses. But look at verse 3. He says, for our exhortation did not come for, from error uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Those three things sum up what the Apostle Paul says separated his ministry from the false teachers of his day. His message, his manner of life, and his method of ministry. His message, his manner of life, and his method of ministry. His message was true. It wasn't erroneous. His manner of life was pure. It wasn't filled with greed and lust. And his method of ministry was authentic, not deceptive. And what Paul shows us, and this is where it gets challenging for us, is because we have to look at our lives and say, man, is my message pure or or is my message true? Is my way of life pure? Is my ministry method, you know, clean and and not deceitful? We have to ask ourselves these things. So if you look at verses 4 through 5, look at this real quick. I want you to look at his message. He says this here. But as we have been approved by God, he was approved by the Lord, God told him to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, look at this, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Can I tell you the first thing that you have to question about a message that you're going to preach, that you're going to live, is am I living, am I sharing it to please men or to please God? Am I doing, am am I sharing this message because it's going to make people smile or am I sharing this because it's going to change someone's life? It's not about making a point because I've told you this before. We need to stop making a point and we need to start making a difference in people's lives. 
This is the reality. But the truth is that we have to be like the apostle here, and our message needs to be one that is not born in wanting to please people, but wanting to please God. Number five here, for neither at any time did we use flattering words. Hello, somebody. We weren't here trying to flatter you. We weren't here trying to make you feel good about yourself. I didn't want you to walk out of here. You know, when, when, when I get up here, there, there's two things that I don't think about. Two things that I, don't, that I do not think about. Number one, I don't think about offending you because that's not my intention when I go to preach. Hello. The second thing, I don't think about making you feel good because that's not my intention when I preach. You know what's the one thing that I really think about? Pleasing God. The second thing that I think about is am I being truthful with the text of Scripture? That's what I'm thinking about. Am I being truthful with what God says in his word? Am I being faithful to his character? Am I going to please him in what's communicated? Can I tell you something? It's the same thing for you in your life. And I know you're like, well, I don't preach. Listen, yes, you should be. You may not ever stand behind this pulpit, and that's fine and dandy. But I want you to know, wherever you sit, wherever you stand, that's your pulpit. Wherever you are, that's where the message should come through. Wherever you're sitting down with people, having conversation, in relationship with those who don't know Jesus, that is the opportunity for your message. So he goes on, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. And so first of all, he wasn't using flattering words. Second, second of all, he wasn't preaching in order to get something. Are you hearing me? Listen, I've told you all this stuff before. One of the things that I hate, I hate those people that talk about, send $100 and I'm going to give you a word. I hate that stuff. I hate anything that even looks like that. Things that, that I got to come and, 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 and I got to sow into, into your ministry to receive. Are you serious? That is unbiblical. It is something that, listen, people, charlatans were doing that kind of stuff. They were trying to make you give to them. And that way, you know, you, you, you provoke something. It's like people can buy salvation or something. Listen, that's called indulgences. The Catholic Church used to do that. And some people tell me they still do. I'm not too sure. I don't study them now, but I know they used to. You knew you were going to go commit some big sins. You started to come to the priest and say, hey, man, I'm going to hit you up. I'm hit you off with some of this. Absolve me right now. Crazy. But the reality is, Paul says, that's not what my message was about. The second thing that we see is his manner of life. Look at his manner of life. Verse 6. He says, nor do we see glory from men. So again, they're not seeking to be glorified by men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. And so they weren't seeking glory of men. They weren't seeking honor of men. They weren't seeking the sustenance from men. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 it says, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Now wait a second. Paul sounds like he's saying he was perfect. He, he, he says some good words there. Justly, devoutly, blamelessly. Justly, devout. That's how we acted among you. Is Paul saying that he was perfect? I doubt he was saying he was perfect. What he was saying is they did everything within their power to be just. They did everything within their dealings with people to be just and to be accurate. They did everything they could in order for them to be devout in their behavior. They did everything they could to be blameless in their behavior. And listen, that has to be our heart. That we are living our lives in a way that is just, in a way that is devout, and in a way that is blameless. 
That when people look at our lives, that they can see that this is a person of equity. This is a person that is not a, a person of favoritism. This is a person who honors God and who lives according to God's law. Whether imperfect or not, but they strive to please God. That this is a person that is walking with their God. That, that's what Paul is saying here. That's his manner of life. And let's look at the method of ministry. Look at verses 7 through 9. He says, but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. Now notice this man. The first thing he talks about is his gentleness and care like a mother for this church. And he tells them, listen, we didn't just give you the words that came out of our mouths. This is the reason why connecting is so important. We gave you our very lives. We invested our lives in you. We took time to spend with you. We took time to share with you. We poured all that we are into you. He says we work night and day. And so what they did was, I mean, they, they were tent makers. And they were, they were working hard day and night and then preaching to these people out of their own pocket. They weren't, they weren't depending on them for anything. I mean, that's the way that Paul was. Second thing that he shows about his life. So the first side, he shows the motherly side. The second part in verses 11, 11 and 12. And he says, and as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own, does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the first side that he shows is the gentleness, the caring, the nurturing side that there has to be in our lives towards others and as ministers and specifically within the church, how we have to be. But then the other side of it is he, he says this other thing. He says, as a father, I exhorted you. He's like, I comforted you. He's like, I charged you. And so I exhort you. What does that exhorting mean? It means I call you to action. I call you to serve God. And then he's like, and I comforted you. So when you're going through those hard, hard moments as a dad. I should be able to do that. I should call my kids to their highest, but I should recognize when my child is at that breaking place and I come and I comfort them. And then I charge them, command them, let them know what is expected of them. It's not like we just comfort them and leave them there. We let them know what God expects because what? Because the vision of faith and of fellowship is to do what? Is to please God in all that we do. That's what it is. It's to please him. That's, listen, the reason why I'm standing here today, the reason why we started 14 years ago is because I had a desire to please God. And that's the reason why we're here. And that's the motivation for everything that we do. And the motivation of the Apostle Paul was the same for the people that he was serving. And so his message was pure. His ministry was not, or his, his ministry was authentic. It wasn't deceptive. He wasn't just trying to get from them. He was trying to give to them. And his manner of life was not filled with greed and lust, but it was one that was an example unto those around him. As elders in the church or pastors, bishops, uh, shepherds, that's all the same thing within the church. We must endeavor to imitate the Apostle Paul in these areas. And as church members... Congregants, as the parishioners of the church, as the laity of the church, as lay people, or in some contexts, lay folk. Hello. As those, that's who you are. You are the church. You are called to imitate Jesus the same way under this world that desperately needs to see him. Number three, ask you to repeat this after me. Say, model ministry, model ministry. is marked by the effectiveness of God's word. 
Model ministry is marked by the effectiveness of God's word. Look with me real quick to verses 13 through 16, and we're getting ready to wrap up here. He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when, you're, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved, so as also, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Those are some scary words. But what I want you to realize is that the first thing here is he says this, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you receive the word, say receive the word. When you receive the word which you heard from us, in other words, he is talking about the preaching of the word of God that was coming to them. When you receive the word of God that was coming through us, he says, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Are you here? And then he says, which also effectively works in you who believe. I want you to get this. It is only when God's word is received as God's words that God's people will see its full effect in their lives. It is only when God's word is received as God's words. I want you to understand, we have to come to that place. And listen, I, I'm going to say this before I even say the next part of this sentence. I am not infallible. And, I, and, and when I get up here and I speak, there are times that I speak my opinion, and I try to differentiate between my opinion and those of the word of God. And listen, if you don't hear me say this is my opinion, it's not my opinion. This is what the scriptures are communicating. And when we are listening to the word of God like that, we have a choice. We can either sleep on it, and I don't mean literally sleep on it. I mean spiritually sleep on it. We can receive it as, you know, yeah, that, that's cool, you know, but that's for someone else. Or we receive this as God's word, as God speaking to us. And when we receive it as God speaking to us, you know what happens? We start to see its full effect in our lives. Because when God, you see, you see, here's the thing that I know. Let's just say that God walked into this building right now and he started talking to us. How many of y'all would be listening? I'm just saying, right? Like you might pay attention. If God walked in this room right now and he appeared and you knew it was God, you would be humbled, you would probably be on your face, and your ears would be open to anything that he was saying. If you were in your room in prayer and God walked into the room and he was speaking to you, you would shut up, you would silence everything, your phone could be vibrating, buzzing, your phone could be doing backflips, and you wouldn't pay attention to it. You could be getting notification after notification, and there would be nothing concerning you except what God was speaking to you. And you would listen, you would write it down, you would tell everyone about it. Hello, somebody. 
I mean, you would make that word God's word for your life because it was his words. And what I want you to know is that preaching the scriptures is no different. When you are in God's word, you are in God's words. God spoke to your life. God is speaking to our lives, and he wants us to see the fruit. But you know what? If we don't receive, and I love this, he said it is working in those of you who believe. You know what the word believe means? It means this. It means to believe in, to have confidence in, to have faith in. It means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. That's what it means. So my question is, is that how you believe? Is that how you believe God's word? With complete trust and reliance? Or are you depending on something else? Are you depending on someone else? Are you depending on something else in your life to get you to wherever it is you think you need to be? Or are you depending on trusting in God's word? Are you opening your ears and saying, God, I want to hear what you have to say, and I want to obey what you're communicating to my life? You see, as we receive God's word, I want you to know something. What's going to happen is we're going to become imitators of God. And then you know what it says here? It says that they receive persecution. Can I tell you something? One one, one of the telltale signs that you know that you're following God is by the way people persecute you. The way people talk about you because, you know, this guy, you know, or this woman, you know, they, they, they really believe what they believe. Especially in our days. Hello? It gets worse when you really want to stand firm upon God's word. You know, start talking about Jesus in a, in a real powerful way. In a real bold way. And you'll see how many people, they, 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 ain't, with, they ain't with all that. Because it is true, there are people that are willing to talk about it. I didn't say they were, they were ready to receive it. They wouldn't have conversations about it and talk about it. But when you go ahead and you draw that line in the sand and you let them know, just like I said earlier, there are people who are dead. In the, there, there's only two kind of people in this world. Those who are alive and those who are dead. That's it. There's no in-between. Like, there's no in-between dead, you know. Either alive or you're dead. That's it. It's just reality, right? I mean, I, I don't know, you know, in a coma or something like that. They're still alive. They may be immobile. They may be incapacitated. They're still alive. Dead is dead. And so what we have here is we have this. We're going to be persecuted. When you draw that line in the sand, you tell people, listen, there is one way to heaven. When you do that, oh, hold on, time out. We were good until that. I, I could get with your Jesus until you become exclusive with him, until you, you hear the fact that, listen, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, you're not going to heaven. And I, and I don't say that flippantly. I mean, it's just a sad reality. But they experience persecution. They experience hardship. But can I tell you something? I said this was scary. Look at this at the end in verse 15 here. He said, who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the people that did not want to hear Jesus speak. They killed him. They crucified him. He dies for our sins, right? He says, and their own prophets, they killed them as well because they didn't want to hear about them and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. You hear that? Wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now, now what, what, what I want you to understand is that you and I must realize something, that all who oppose God's work and God's church oppose God's will and make themselves God's enemies. Did you hear that? All of those who oppose God's word and oppose God's church oppose God's will and make themselves God's enemies. Now, can I tell you something? All of us, 
either were God's enemies or we are God's enemies. Dead or alive. Now, when you think about that, some of you, you, you should be rejoicing because you know that you were born into sin, right? And you know, when, and, 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 if you were, and, and when you think about this, God's enemy, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, if there's just one person that I don't want to be his enemy, is God. Like, seriously, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would not, and, and this is what we are. Because we sin against him. Because we rebel against him. When I think, when I have the audacity to think that I don't need God, that's a clear sign that I'm his enemy. When I think that I'm good enough without God, I am saying I'm his enemy because I am saying I don't trust in his sacrifice. I don't need his sacrifice because I'm a good person. When I'm lustful, when I'm looking at pornography, when I'm cheating on tests in school. Hello, somebody. Is that right? Yes, that is wrong. That is sinful. Those are all acts of an enemy. When I'm breaking laws, the laws of God, those are all acts of an enemy. And listen, the beauty of this is that Jesus died for his enemies. I love that. He died because he doesn't want to leave you as his enemy. But these people were opposing him. This is the reason why it's so important for us to see ourselves as ministers of light. Because when we are ministers of light, you know what? Here's a beautiful thing. This guy that wrote this book, he used to be Saul of Tarsus. He's now Paul the Apostle. And what you and I don't know is while Paul was an enemy of God, and let me tell you something, he was a weird enemy of God. You know why? Because he knew all of God's laws. He thought he was doing everything that was pleasing to God. And you know what he was doing? He was opposing Jesus. And as he opposed Jesus, he was God's enemy, and he was coming against God. And if he would have died in that place, he would have spent eternity in hell. But he came to the revelation that Jesus died for his enemies. Jesus shed blood for him. And you know what happened? He put his faith in Christ and became the apostle became this writer of the New Testament. And so what you and I have to realize is that, you know what? We have this same opportunity to be the light in the midst of a dark world. And those people that are enemies of God, those people that want to silence the church, those people that don't want to hear the gospel, continue to walk in love, continue to be a light, continue to share the truth. For your friends that are not sure, for your neighbors, coworkers, you know, schoolmates, whoever, for those people that you are around that, you know what, they think they're okay with God, I beg you on their behalf, please don't leave them in their sin. Please don't allow them to continue to believe that they're okay the way they are. Don't let them tell you that they're good and they don't need Jesus. Let them know that, that, is a, that those are words of God's enemies. Because eternity is a long time. Eternity isn't a month. Eternity isn't a week. Eternity isn't a few minutes. Eternity is forever. Suffering and eternity forever is not what Jesus wants. Jesus died to liberate us from that. And so listen, if you're in this place and you're a person that you know that you are not walking with Jesus, I, I, I ask you, put your faith in him today. Don't leave this place without trusting him, trusting him for what he did. Don't do that. Trust him with your life. And listen, if you know someone that you know that they're not walking with Christ, maybe you brought someone here today and you know that they don't have a relationship with God, listen, use me as the excuse. Tell them your bishop, you know, my bishop said I got to ask you, so I'm going to ask you. Where they, you. Find out where they're at with God. 
Have a heartfelt, loving, gracious conversation. Don't leave them where they are. And listen, if you're in here and you know Jesus, I just encourage you to continue to walk this walk. Continue to fight this, fight, fight this fight. Continue to be the model ministry. And so my closing questions, I have a couple of them for you. Just bow your heads right where you're at. I want you to just humble your heart before the Lord as I ask you these questions. First question is, do you see your labor in the Lord as in vain in the beginning? Model ministry is never in vain. You may be walking through some difficulties. You may be walking through some hardship in your life. And you may feel like, man, this seems like it's going nowhere. It seems like I'm not seeing the results that I, I want to see or I should see. Listen, it's not in vain. A second question is, are you living a legacy? Are you living for the glory and honor of God? And if not, his grace is here. He wants you to start today. It's never too late for you to start living a legacy. My last question is, do you see God's word at work in your life? Maybe you don't accept God's word as God's word. Maybe you've accepted the wrong words as God's word. But today, will you commit to God to say, God, I receive your word as your word. I want to obey your word. I know that it is you that is speaking to me. I'm not going to deny you speaking to me. I want you to have full access to my life. So with every eye, every, every eye closed, every head bowed, and I just want us to pray together. I just want you to humble your heart before God. Father, look at our hearts. Father, you see us where we are. Lord, you, you search us. You know us, God. Father, we humble ourselves before you this, this day. We acknowledge you as high and lifted up. We acknowledge you as king. We acknowledge you as a great, great savior, God. And today, Lord Jesus, I just pray that your mercy would shed abroad in the hearts of those in this place that don't know you. I pray, God, that they would recognize now that you call them to call upon you. I pray they would call on you today. I pray that they would begin to walk with you today. I pray that you would save them from their sin. I pray that you would awaken them to the reality of who you are. Father, I pray for those that are struggling in this place that may feel like their labor is in vain, those that are struggling, Lord God, who feel like they're, they're pressing on and pressing hard, but they're not seeing the results. Father God, help us to continue to do good, to glorify and honor you, Lord. Father, today I pray that you fill my brothers and my sisters with an awe of your word. God, that we would be those who hear from you, that we would be those who obey you, that we would be those, Lord God, who are surrendered unto you. Father, today, have your way in our hearts. Be glorified in us. 
pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.